It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, your local, friendly Manchester United supporter will be an insufferable bore for the rest of the day. What? Sorry? You mean as usual? Oh, as you? Yeah, of course. I know. I know. As usual. Stop. Good morning. 1850-715-996. The number to call. The text to WhatsApp. 083-396-9696. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Those postcards from on post have started to come through the letterbox again uh, to be sent to people just to say hello and we're thinking of you and all of that as this uh, lockdown and these tough times continue. Someone's got a great idea. I'll be talking to them in a few minutes. A really great idea of what to do with those unpost postcards. Um, something that is so simple, why didn't anybody think of it before now? So we'll get to that shortly. Also, looking for your views today on zero COVID because after 10, I'll be talking to the group, the the group pushing for Ireland to at least try, to at least try to get to an an elimination stage with uh, COVID-19. Good morning. I want to start, though, with a story on this morning's Examiner. Again, about COVID-19, but particularly about the front line. And this article tells us that women are not only on the front line, but are now disproportionately bearing the burden of the pandemic. It has thrown into stark relief, says this item. The coronavirus has thrown into stark relief the inequalities still faced by women in all parts of society, not just on the front line. And when one of those people uh, who's... Um, supporting this view is a regular guest on the programme, Dr. Neve Lynch. Neve, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Here we, here we go again. I feel like I'm on the phone to you more than anybody else. And moment. you know what? There's a reason for that because you're a very, very solid contributor and we love talking to you. Thank you. This item on the front of the examiner, it, it, it opens up a whole Pandora's box of things that we kind of knew were there but didn't really look at them. Yeah, I felt it was time that we sort of named a lot of the stuff that we were feeling uh, as female frontline workers. Um, but within within the group that has signed this this letter, uh, we have advocates from 
all parts of the community. So we have minority advocates, we have representatives from the traveller community, uh, we have uh, contributors from north and south of the border. Um, and essentially what we wanted to highlight was that um, you know women are doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the front line, but equally, uh, traditionally, women do a lot of the heavy lifting at home as well. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, the burden of the homeschooling and the childcare and stuff like that often falls to women. Now, of course, there are thousands and thousands of very supportful male partners out there as well. And this group is not setting out to, you know, be anti-male or anything like that. Uh, I think it's just that we want to highlight that, you know, women are bearing a lot of the brunt of, mm. of this pandemic. That's actually what struck me about the article. There isn't a touch of misandry about it. There's no one trying to say that women are suffering because men made it so. It's just women are struggling here. That's right. And we just wanted those in power to take a look at how much work women are doing in this pandemic and how it might be able to make things easier for us. Um, so some of the suggestions we had was that, you know, children of frontline workers would be able to go to school, for example, and that teachers would be made a priority in that case and be considered essential workers as well. Um, other things like, you know, uh, the accessibility to childcare for those with younger children. Um, you know, there are a lot of nurses in particular who are really struggling to find um, appropriate childcare for their children so that they can make it into work because the grandparents would always you know, stepped up to the, yeah. the mark are not able to do that now. Because that, and that whole, that whole framework has been snatched away by COVID. Exactly. And, and so something new needs to be put in place um, to support us. You know, very often you, you have two frontline members in a family, yeah. you know, so you might have a nurse married to a nurse or a doctor or a nurse or a doctor married to a guard, things like that. So, those families, all of that sort of scaffolding that allowed them to operate um, has been sort of snatched away. Mm. Now, so, we know the schools are closed for, for a reason of public health and safety and, and all of that. So how would you do it? How could you make some provision available for frontline workers like that? Well, it's being done in the north. And, you know, not everything is being done perfectly in the north. But children of frontline healthcare workers are going to school. So, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Uh, we can take a look at what they're doing there. Uh, I suppose the other thing, PJ, is to think about the ima- uh, massive emotional burden um, that's being borne by um, women as well at the moment. You know, tragically, uh, we had a huge number of deaths yesterday. And, you know, for the most part, um, hopefully those people will have passed away with somebody holding their hand. Um, but there's a more than 80% chance that that person was a woman, given the, number, the proportion of women working in those roles. And they then have to take that sadness home with them. And they're going to need a lot of support and, uh, and help in the future to, to process and deal with what they've witnessed. Yeah. Is it fair to say, Neve, that people, women, because I spoke only a couple of weeks ago, I've spoken to her a couple of times, a lovely student nurse called Tessa, who told me about working on the front line and she spoke of young people or older people particularly that she'd met and tried to help through their most difficult time and she said they'd lost their smile 
And I thought that really struck. And she was taking that home. That's a kind of a trauma that can stay with someone, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's an emotional scar for sure. And I'm not sure that we have the toolkit to deal with that when it when it comes up for us in the future. Um, you know, like I said many times to you before, thankfully my patient group are not severely affected. Yes. Uh, but you know, amongst my colleagues, um, you know, they've lost patients, they've lost friends, they've lost family members, uh, and lots of people have lost friends and family members. But when you're right there in the thick of it. Um, dealing with the immediate emotion and tragedy, uh, it's very hard to unpack that later. And a lot of people will bury it and it may come up as different problems then later in life. Yeah. So how can the rest of us help? Oh, that's very very kind of you to ask, PJ. Uh, I think it needs to be at a sort of a a national level, really, uh, to start with, you know, that the recognition of of how much is falling on women's shoulders at the moment, uh, maybe taking heed of the suggestions that we've made in our letter, uh, much like the Zero COVID group that you'll be speaking to later, we're actually both saying very similar things in terms of saying we can't do this again. And there's a way to avoid it having to do this again. And I think if we saw that there was a clear commitment at the leadership level in this country to do that, it would give us hope. But at the moment, we feel like we're standing on the beach waiting for the next wave. Yeah. You warn also that as we stand, there's a risk of a fourth wave of illness and a fourth lockdown in the late spring or or summer which people like yourself on the front line and many others just won't be able to take? Yeah, I mean, burnout is a real problem. So the, the, in, within this group of women that have come together, obviously we, we speak to each other. Um, and actually that in itself has been very helpful because suddenly all of the women in the group have realised, oh, I'm not the only one. Um, but yes, there's, there's definitely um, a fear out there and a lot of the women are saying, I can't do this again. And I'm, I'm considering different career. Uh, I'm going to take extended leave of absence. Uh, I'm done. You know, so there are so many people out there who are burnt out. Yeah. Burn, burnout is all so common anyway in, in our health services for any number of reasons. But at the moment, I think it's so many. Every, every second person I talk to who is connected to the front line, men and women, but they're all saying, we're burning out, we're knackered, we're falling asleep on our feet, we, we can't focus, there isn't time to breathe. Yeah, and that's just at work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for example, me, every morning, you know, I have to make sure that everything is set up for the homeschool. Now, my, my partner is extremely supportive, but if you're a single mum or somebody who doesn't have a partner, you know, who has a partner who's working outside of the home, then very often it does fall to the women to kind of pull all that together as well. So I suppose, PJ, when you ask how can we help, um, you know, just for men to take a step back and say, you know, how how can I help in my own house? That would be be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. You're working with the children yourself and we we had a previous conversation with regards to to this, Neve. We also have to look at our children don't we, 
and try to keep them grounded and try to carry them through this and that's a burden that's falling on on the women yeah um it, it, you know i think kids are great to, to talk um and i think it's really important that mums have that emotional space to have that conversation with their child when they feel that they need it obviously dads are great as well um but i don't know it seems that when the kids need the cuddles and the reassurance they want their mummy. It's the mum that they go to. They yeah. want their mummy. Yeah. That's no, that's no aspersions on no, that. But it's not. Um, but they want their mummy. That's that's yeah. the truth, you know. And I know that as a daddy myself. <laughs> you know, when my kids yeah. were were really small and of that age, you know, I mean, no matter what I did, if I gave them diamonds, they still want their mummy. Oh God, you gave them diamonds, nice. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so look, the, the, the mums just, you know, they're carrying the sadness home from work. And then they're dealing with the sadness of their children at home. And I think if we were able to put some sort of structure into our children's lives, be it creche or school or something a little bit more solid than what we have at the moment, I think, you know, our our children would definitely benefit as well. It must get desperately frustrating for everyone, but particularly on the front line. So many people are still dismissing this. I think it's maybe a little bit less uh, now, PJ. I hope so anyway. Um, But yeah, almost inevitably, you know, if somebody puts up a tweet about COVID-19, then you will have an army of people with a tricolour in their bio. um, And numbers for a name, yeah. Yeah, Um, and I'm I'm not sure who these people are, um, but, you know, they they, they can have a very uh, upsetting influence on the narrative. Um, and I suppose if you look at what's happening in the UK and actually what's happening here in Ireland now where you have people going into hospitals with their phones and videoing and saying, oh, look, see, the place is empty. That's very sinister. And it's gaining a lot of traction on social media. And I mean, these, these people are going into outpatient apartments in the middle of the night, where, which are always empty. But they're trying to manipulate it and, and make it look like, you know, this is a bit of a scam. Yeah. It must be soul-destroying to put up with that kind of nonsense. Do you think that, that if we don't if we don't cop onto it a small bit here, that people will just leave the health service in droves because they can't take this anymore? It's, it's, a, it's a strong possibility. Uh, you know, one of the things we highlight in our letter is that um, people working in, in public health, now I don't mean the HSE, I mean public health as in the care of the population. Yeah. They are incredibly frustrated. They're under-resourced. They should be leading this pandemic. Uh, and instead, they've been put into the back seat. Um, they're often working with pencil and paper or biro and paper. Their IT systems are rubbish. And, you know, many of them uh, ha- are highly qualified and mm-hmm. have trained overseas mm-hmm. and have been offered jobs. And so, are working in some, those that have left are working in some of the most successful operations against COVID-19 on the planet. Yes, and you spoke to, uh, was it Niall? Niall, last week? Niall, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and many of our, our public health specialists, who should be called consultants, but aren't, uh, have been offered jobs similar to that, uh, and, and many of them will leave. Yeah. Yeah, they'll leave and they'll do their brilliant work and use their brilliant skills in other parts of the world when we should be cherishing and nurturing them here. Yeah. Can I ask you finally, Neve, just briefly before I let you go, to do with about um, 
zero COVID, or as they call it now, we can be zero. I'll be delving into that in, in some depth this morning after 10. Do you think it is A, possible, and B, should be tried at least? Uh, I I don't think any country has zero COVID. Um, so if you look at Australia, they still have outbreaks. Yes. If you look at New Zealand, they still have outbreaks. Yes. If you look at Taiwan, they still have outbreaks. But it's how they deal with those, out- those outbreaks that sets them apart because they have adequately resourced public health services which can get in there, identify a cluster and lock it down really quickly. So that's what we should be aiming for. But we don't have the infrastructure. And we should have been building that infrastructure over the past year. But I don't see that that's happened. Yes, and not allowing the talent to emigrate, which it has too. Mm. Niamh, listen, to, to everybody on the front line, yourself and others included, women and men, but particularly this morning to the women, thank you for all that you do. Thank you very much, PJ. Cheers. That's Dr. Neil Lynch, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Someone says, yeah, you did that wrong, Pish. You should have given the diamonds to the mammy, not the children. <laughs> yeah, probably right. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Caller says, we still live in the world where caregiving is the responsibility of the women. What has changed is that compared to long ago, the men often have not premium jobs and either we have to do the primary job at home or both do it. Do it. It's all stressed and it's never been equalised. I, I get where you're coming from. I'm not entirely sure what you're saying. Just in terms of the effect of COVID on workers on the front line, there's two TV shows that I watch. They're medical dramas. I love medical dramas. Um, and they both started a new series of late... And okay, medical dramas, look, doctors cringe when they talk about medical dramas because it's all dramatised for the telly, and that's true. But two of them in particular, one is The Resident, and the other is The Good Doctor, Freddie Highmore. Both of those series are currently focusing, particularly The Good Doctor, focusing on the effect of COVID on frontline staff. Now, they're fictionalising that COVID is over, or that it is behind us, or that it's under control. So that's all fictionalised. But they're looking at the effect of COVID on those on the front line. And some of it, I know it's, again, dramatised for the telly. I know that. Even with that caveat in mind, and Casualty has been doing it too. And even with that caveat in mind, it would make you think, what must it be like to work on the front line? Like Neve, like other doctors, nurses, you know, um, paramedics, anybody directly on the front line, patient-facing, as they call it. What must it be like? What must they be taking home? 101 people confirmed to have died yesterday. What must it have been like to be on the front line trying to save that life, trying to rescue that life, and to take it home? And not just take it home today, but maybe take it home day after day after day. That's it melt your head 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids the place to order your 211 Toyota see lehanmotors.ie The drama is sensational That's 80 Oh he's done it It's an equaliser It's stoppage time And it's all right here Grealish for 7 
Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. The Premier League Live Online. With Now TV. Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports on the Now TV Sports Extra Pass. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So I mentioned those postcards that are coming in again from Unpost. And a great idea. Such a simple idea. I'm wondering why no one thought of it before. Sandra, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Well, what do you um, want us to do with the postcards? Well, I'll, I'll tell you now. I was, I'm cocooning since March myself, and I was feeling a bit sorry for myself. And these postcards popped in the door, and I was, you know, beginning to feel a bit isolated or whatever, and saying, oh, God, will this ever end? And I was, you know, I'd be a positive person, so I always try to go, right, what have I and what don't I have? And then I was thinking, right, I'm being protected by being told to find myself by my medical team so and they have helped me so many times I have severe asthma so I really kind of empathise with people that have uh, COVID because I can understand that trying to get your breath and thinking you're going to die I've been in that situation many times myself and I know how the staff struggle with it I've seen nurses crying when they've been trying to help me. So I can imagine the pain they're going through. And I feel they're just very demoralised at the moment because there's so many silly things going around about COVID not being real and anti-vaxxers. And I don't feel the government are supporting them very well. So these cards anyway dropped on my doorstep and I was said to the postman, what are they? And he said, they're postcards. Now you can send out for free. And I was thinking, who am I going to send them to? And then it dawned to me, why don't we all get together as a county, I would be hoping nationwide, and send these cards to every hospital in our area and just put a message on them telling them how much we appreciate them and that we're so grateful for everything they're doing and just let them know that people out there are grateful and we are really trying our best to help them as well. Sandra, I love it. I love it. You like it? I love it. (laughs) I absolutely I love it. If we could all just flood our own hospital in our own area, um, we each get four cards. I got four cards and I'm, I'm one person at home cocooning. So I got four cards. And if every household got four cards and we sent each one to each hospital, each nurse and a nursing home in particular in our area and just said, we so appreciate the work. We are genuinely behind you and we are the people that are trying our best, wearing the mask, staying inside, doing what we're asked to do in support of you. And we so much appreciate what you're doing for us. I think that's a lovely, lovely idea. And I know a lot of people, myself included, when they come in to me, I can think of people that I've spoken to that I immediately want to send them to. But of course, you can send them to to a complete stranger. Um, you, you mentioned, guys, that you're cocooning since last March. Yeah, I have um, very severe asthma and I have a few other issues as well. So um, I've been... You sound like quite a young person. What age are you? 
I'm 49. You're young enough. You're young enough. You're younger than me, woman. Yeah, so I'm in since March, more or less. I spent the first cocoon. Um, I, I hate to work cocoon and any older person I speak to as well hate this, yeah. but, um, they have a nicer word in the UK actually they call it shielding yeah. yeah I prefer that too um, so I spent the first one um, as we all did kind of going yes we can do this and and then you begin losing hope. Then the second, we were left out for a while and I got a bit of freedom for a small space of time and I grabbed this with both hands mm. and I was careful, but I went to town and I had a coffee, which was amazing. And and then the next thing, bam, I was told, look, you have to stay inside again. So um, I spent one lockdown with a good friend of mine down in Gardstown, which was amazing. But yeah. like, you can't leave your own house forever either. So I came back at Christmas. So I've been inside now since Christmas again. Um, it's so it getting it's to you hard. a little bit. Yeah, it gets quite hard. And um, I was feeling a bit fed up with myself. And yesterday I found even, I just couldn't even deal with people, you know, that kind of way. Mm-hmm. You just kind of get into a place in your head where you just go, oh, you know, the sound by Green Day wake me up in September in. I do, I do. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of like, wake me up when it's in. Yeah. But, um, or let a song, wake me up when it's all over. It became almost yeah. an anthem, yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I'm a Green Day fan, so um, I kind of, I think it was, I love that song anyway. Yeah. It's just so poignant. Yeah. But um, I just feel if maybe, I just feel they must be lagging. And like, if we're lagging, yes. I just felt if I'm lagging at home, Yes. And I don't have I don't have the stress of I used to be a carer. I worked for ten years as a carer, so I know what the job entails. I know what it's like to have the vomiting bug in the premises and people wanting to get in to see their family, and you have to tell them no. And that was quite you know that wouldn't be on the level that this is on. And I know the work involved. I know turning patients and just running around and the worry and you get so attached to people when they're in your care. You really do. Um, I, I, I think people don't get that, that they become like your, when you're in a nursing home and you have somebody in there with you for four or five years, they become like your grandparents. They do. You know what I mean? They, they do. really do. And you become so attached to people and even in, when I, like Mallow Hospital, I owe so much to Mallow Hospital over the years. They've saved my life so many times. And I've seen nurses with tears in their eyes when they're trying to help me. So it affects, like the emotional aspect of that job is forgotten. And they're criticised so much. I see so many people criticising them for stuff that you're looking and going, I understand this because I'm looking at it from both sides. And you can understand the patient's point of view and you can understand the family's point of view. But when you've worked in the situation, you also understand it from the logistics of just working in a place and knowing that you don't always have the staff but you are always trying your best I can yeah. guarantee that yeah. and I always say to people that if, because it, I know the torture that people must be going through with their family in nursing homes and COVID in the nursing home and maybe their family having COVID and they can't get in all I can say is that when we had patients die with us and sometimes they had no family um, we treated them as if they were our family yes. and we stayed with them I mean we off- 
we if we had somebody dying, we would go on our breaks and sit with them and pray with them if that was what they wanted. Yeah. You know, if they if they were into prayer, or we'd read to them. Do you know we would sit there with them? I I worked nights and often went down and sat with people and just read books to them or you know just held their hand yeah. and had a cup of tea with them and said you know told like they'd hardly be able to respond but you'd see a smile on their face or you 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 know you'd know that they were grateful for it and it, it's I can't explain it to PJ but it's such you are, an but honor. you are Sandra you're explaining it brilliantly you're explaining it so brilliantly it must break your heart to see what's happening in the nursing homes. Oh, it really does. And it, it kills me because um, I worked there so long, but I had to leave due to ill health. And when I see my ex-colleagues, and they're, they're really, you like, people don't understand how much effort we put into keeping our patients safe. And I mean, if we were dealing with MRSA or anything, we would be so careful. So I can imagine how careful they're trying to be now and it must be so heartbreaking with all that effort when COVID still gets in and you're there trying to deal with the work which is high, it's intense labour I mean you, you work you earn your money as a care assistant or or a nurse in a nursing home you're both, on this, you're both doing the same thing with patients and nurses have another level because there's so much bureaucracy to deal with now. Yeah. Before I left, it had it just had changed so much, and, and like, more paperwork than patient work, as someone said to me once. Yes, and then um, you're relying on to have staff that are experienced and staff that will step in and will come back to you. Like the nurses would rely on the care assistants to come back and say, there's a change in John or there's a change in Mary or look, we think there's a bed sort of developing there. We need to keep an eye on that. And like if you if you have people out sick and you have people coming in, like I've heard of army personnel going in and physio going in and like they're... They're, they're perfect and they're amazing to do it but at the same time they will have to be trained when they go in they they probably won't even understand that they'll have to be trained when they go in but they will mm. and they so don't know 94 year old Mary like you no, know 94 year old Mary exactly and they don't know that some people their dignity is everything you could have somebody in a stroke and because you know them they mightn't have spoken to you for two years, but because you know them, you'll know by their little reactions or whatever that they don't like that. They don't, you know, just, and you have to go slow with it and explain and tell them what they're doing and let them know that they're still human. And as I used to always say to people, I used to always say to people when they brought somebody into the nursing home first, because it's devastating for a family to have to admit that they can't do this anymore. And like, I always say, bring in a picture. Bring in loads of pictures of her life, his life. Bring in pictures of when he was a young man, when he was a child, when he was married, when she had kids, her grandkids. Put that life up there. So when somebody walks into the roof or into the room, they don't see a babe and a patient or a resident. They see a human being who has made a life. And you can go, Mary, when was this? And Who's this with you? Do you know what I mean? And you learn from them then. You you know what their lifestyle has been and you can kind of play along with it and 
you you know what they like and like there was one la- lady in a nursing home I worked at she loved pork pies so every time you go into the Marks and Spencer's you bring her home pork pies <laughs> you know those little things yeah. they're the things we'd know or we'd know they'd like their hair a certain way and you know it might take a few minutes extra but you do it just because yeah. That just because that's that's just because that's what you do when you read when you read your newspaper then and see the television and listen to the radio and you see the let's let's call it a spade a spade the neglect of our nursing homes in the pandemic. Uh, I'm devastated. I really am. Um, yeah, I I think it's disgrace. I think two things devastate me: the way our medical staff, especially our nurses. Like young nurses working out or starting out aren't earning a lot, and when I hear of young nurse um, not being able to pay her bus fare, I'm going, what? That? Why can't? Like at the moment, PJ, like I have free travel because my mobility can be bad at times. So if I can't drive, my free travel means everything to me because I can get on the bus and I can go to my appointment or whatever, and safely, and it means. It's, it's so important. People think it's a very kind of true way thing, but it's so important to so many people from a social point of view to keep their their mental um, health yeah. well. And also for a practical point of view from coming here and there. But like at the moment, so many of us aren't using our free travel. So why can't that be transferred to the student nurses? You know? That's a lovely idea. That that person who was telling us, or who you mentioned, that can't afford their bus fare, or trying to decide between their bus fare and something to eat, was Tessa, who who was telling us about it here on the show. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear that, I'm just like, no, that's not like that. Girl is no, and it's solvable. It's it's and it should it shouldn't even be an issue. I mean, our medical staff at the moment, I feel any of them that need to use public transport, it should be free. It should it should be free, and I know the government's going to say, "Oh, we can't afford that," and you know we're doing this, we're doing that, and we're doing the other. But these are people that are keeping us safe at the moment, and that are work putting their own lives in danger, their families' lives in danger. The stress they must be under. So, is, produce a hospital ID, nursing home ID. Yeah, free and you hop on the bus. I think so, and I mean they can, they they are saving money at the moment because. So many older people are cocooning or shielding and uh, so many people like me with disabilities are shielding, aren't using their um, free travel. So it could easily be transferred for the moment, you know, even during the pandemic and take that pressure off them. I just don't understand why our government, these are, are, and it's a cliche and I, I don't know if they like the word, but they are heroes. Every and last one of them. Every last one of them, Sandra. You're so right. That's before the pandemic. That's yeah. even without a pandemic. Right. I'm going to have to wrap it up there for no reason other than time. But Sandra, first of all, your idea is brilliant. Your idea to to um, to send off those postcards is just so you brilliant. might start promoting that idea. We absolutely will, and I love brilliant. your idea. I love, love, love your idea that we would give hospital workers, nurses. Doctors, free bus travel. I think it's a wonderful yeah. idea. Oh, well, it's it's not being used at the moment by so many people. So, 
and these produce your ID, travel for free. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Produce your exactly. ID and travel for free. Sandra, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, TJ. Thanks care. so much for having me on. You yeah. too. Bye now. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's a humdinger of an idea. Produce your ID and travel for free. That's something we could make happen, isn't it? 1850 715 996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Every day we're beating that afternoon slump with the biggest tunes, giveaways, crack and a little silliness and distraction to help you through your day. So make sure you're with me, just like Harry Styles, he loves it. Yeah, I feel like it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Make sure you're with me for the best music mix, all those online trends, breaking news and all things car. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4pm. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, Life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Cork's 96 FM. So 101 deaths confirmed uh, yesterday. Uh, Jerry rings up to say, or Dennis rather says, just for the sake of transparency, it was 101 reported dead, 83 from January, from late reporting, and 18 from February. Not 101 dead in one day. Dennis, does it actually matter? Does it matter, of course? They're still dead. And they still died despite the best efforts, the Herculean efforts of people like Theresa O'Brien. Theresa, good morning. Morning, Tricia, you're the clinical nurse manager at, at CUH in ICU. It must be like a war zone in there right now. Um, I, I suppose you could compare it to that, but from what I've heard, they're having it worse than in, in London. But um, it, it's extremely busy, it's extremely pressurising, and the stress levels we're feeling are huge because we don't have enough nurses to do the jobs and you know everything just takes longer because of COVID and because of the fact that we're in full PPE when we're having face-to-face contact with patients so it's extremely stressful and difficult for everyone involved Talk to me about the things that you're seeing and the things you're having to to deal with So um, on a daily basis we're in PPE so you could be in that PPE for up to three hours or you get a break and you, you do sweat a lot under that gear. It, the goggles impede your vision. So everything is, you're double checking everything more than you would. And we, we are very grateful for all the volunteers and the redeployed staff that we have that are nursing, helping us to nurse the patients. And that, that still causes a stress on the ICU nurse because there is a redeployed staff with an ICU patient and then an ICU nurse with another ICU patient. So you're keeping an eye on more patients, but we are still one-to-one, which does help and does, you know, help to save the patients. But um, 
you know, nurses are getting contact dermatitis, um, their stress levels are increased, the patients are extremely unwell and unstable most of the shift. It's not just for an hour or two during the day. They're unstable constantly, day and night. So a night is just as busy as a day and you need the same amount of staff by night as you do by day. And, you know, we're just struggling with that at the minute. There's just not enough nurses and doctors to deal with all of this. Yeah. And this is the kind of stress that, you know, coffee in a bun doesn't fix this. No, absolutely not. I mean, there are days in there and I don't get a break and some of my colleagues don't get a break. We do have to make the effort to take breaks because we need to stay hydrated and you know, nurses have fainted while in PPE and, you know, it's part of my job is to safeguard those nurses. So, you know, you're coordinating breaks and you're making sure. So a coffee and a bun is very welcome. You know, we would never turn it away either. Yeah, but, I um, no, it, how, it, how I mean, it, how I mean is, Teresa, you know, a, a tough, a tough shift on a factory floor or a tough shift here in a, in, a, in an office like this, a nice coffee and a slice of cake when you go home can take 90% of it away but not the kind of stress you guys are facing you can't do that no you can't we we go home to our families and unfortunately a lot of us do take care of families because we can't at work we have to stay calm focused organised at work you know and unfortunately we do take it out on our families which is what I found in my own personal yeah. instance you know do you, find, do you find yourself going take no notice of me I've just had a crap day you know, but sometimes you can shout at your kid you shouldn't have, and you know, you know, you 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 do realise it the next day, but it, it's it's extremely stressful because that's your output, really. I mentioned the oh, sad record reached yesterday of one hundred and one, yeah. um, and like I'm conscious that people like you are dealing with that every day, and and that this blasted thing. Is taking lives day in, day in, day out, and hour in, hour out. And that people like you, Teresa, and your team, your job when someone goes into ICU is to get them stable and get them out. How hard is it to be there and knowing this poor devil isn't going to make it? Um, it's, it's extremely, it's extremely heartbreaking for us because we do know possibly that this person might not make it but at the same time I have to behave as if we can because you don't want your nurses getting disillusioned either you know so you have to keep up that kind of keep that positive thinking going and when it does come to those final moments it's extremely difficult for the families the nurses, the doctors, everyone, even housekeeping, because they're aware this is going on and they're not used to seeing these high levels of losing patients. So, But for the families, I, I do, my heart goes out to the families. Mm. You the know, families can't, they can't come in, can they? They, at the moment, we're able to bring them in for short lengths of time when that patient, when we know that patient is going to die. You know, okay. but up and up and before that, they they're not they can't come in. How do you support each other? Who minds the minders, as it were? Um, 
Oh, mind, I mind my minders, I suppose. Well, I who minds you, them. then? My husband. <laughs> and my children, they're amazing. They've been living with for a year with me, so they're extremely supportive. My mum and dad have been amazing to me, absolutely amazing, and they're doing everything I ask them to do. They live next door, and I'm keeping them safe, but my my mum and dad are my lifeline, really. I think you've been running the ICU in there and you're doing your present job for the bones of 15 years. How long are you a nurse, Tracy? I'm a nurse 31 years this year. Did you ever think that you would be dealing with a situation like this? No, I'm, no, I didn't. I never saw this coming. I mean, you see this kind of exaggerated thing on TV, but never did I think it would hit my front door or my work door. So, I mean, we had the influenza and the swine flu and that was, you know, short numbers. It was low numbers, but this, I've never seen anything like this and I never could have dreamed of anything like this. In all your experience? In all my experience, no. I never thought I would be there nursing patients in full PPE and sometimes hazmat suits. It's just alien to me, you know? Yeah. It's very it's very hard and and again um from all of us doing this ordinary everyday job compared to what you do what you do and what your team do and your colleagues do is extraordinary and all we can say is thank you. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I mean I I wouldn't be a person to go on social media and that but I just really want the public to try and understand what we do and that Lockdown isn't a punishment, it's a, ne- it's a necessity and I am begging them to stay at home so that my job will get a bit better and that these people, these patients don't have to suffer. I mean, and the thing is, PJ, we meet these patients when they're awake and they come in and find it very difficult to breathe so we're, we get to know them and we have a, a personal contact with them and it's it's just soul-destroying that we're losing these patients and it's it's going to have an effect on the medical healthcare professionals. When we see that effect, will be down the line, but we will all have to be rethinking how we feel about working in ICU or going into this level of traumatic work every day. It, it, it will take its toll. PTSD even? Even, yeah, even. My God. Um, oh. I mean, I'm sure if we were all assessed, we all certainly have levels of anxiety and stress at the moment and we're just learning to control it so that we can go in and do our job. Can I ask you what you think about people who still try to tell you that this is a hoax? I actually try to zone them out now because I just, I I cannot understand that. It's, It's so very real, just if you could see what we are doing, if you know a nurse or a healthcare professional, please listen to them. But I have to zone that out now because the most important thing for me is to go into work and, and help save these people. And you do that every day, and thank you so much for doing it. Teresa, uh, great to talk to you, and just um, thank you for what you're doing. And thank you, PJ. Thanks for listening. There's a great two-page interview, actually, in the Irish Sun today. Uh, Anne Mooney interviewing Teresa. More detail on what they're going through 
on the front line at ICU at COH. And while I have an opportunity um, and while I come to this stop down point, I want to mention uh, an old friend of mine and an old friend of Fergal's and a colleague of both of ours who is in that very ICU as we speak, fighting the good fight, battling like that tough old devil that we know he is. And that's Ted Dunn. And I think the best way to describe Ted Dunn would be Cork's Mr. Entertainment. Not only the best live DJ, the best guy you've ever seen to capture and hold and milk a crowd. There's no one to touch the man. But in terms of entertainment trend, not only did he follow them all, but he set many of them. And Ted Dunn is struggling right now. Ted Dunn is fighting very, very, very hard. I spoke to his brother during the week and he just asked me for prayers and for thoughts. So my thoughts go out to Ted and to his family and his many friends and his many colleagues and particularly to Sheila and to Lily and to TJ. Um, We're rooting for him. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Lovely morning out there. Lovely morning out there. And I suppose, you know, after the tough content of our first hour, and thanks again to, to, to Teresa for speaking with us. Just a call that will resonate, I think, with people for, for a long time. Um, in 31 years nursing, she has never, never thought she would, never dreamed she would, never could have considered she would see the kind of things that she's now seeing. She said, this is the kind of thing that you normally only see in television shows and movies, where it's all exaggerated for the screen. But it's happening in real life out in CUH. Thank you very much to Teresa for speaking to us. And there's a great interview with Teresa, a great feature on today's Irish Sun, pages six six and seven. Uh, It's a harrowing read, but it's worth it. Find out what it's really like on the front line. If by any chance you missed anything to do with our first hour, any part of our first hour this morning, remember you'll get it in the podcast, which goes up in the afternoon on all your various platforms. First thing we do is we tweet the link when we have it uploaded and then it goes on all your platforms, including the Cork 96 FM app. And we might just put up a podcast extra, Fergal, I think, with Teresa. And be such a powerful, such a strong call. 185715996, the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 and your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. You know, in the midst of it all, there's good news there this morning. I was talking to Luke O'Neill, Professor Luke O'Neill, on the show yesterday. Our regular catch up with Luke on where we're going with vaccines and where we're going with good science. Great news. I'm reading from the Times this morning. Uh, that the Oxford, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, they've done research on how it can protect others as well as protecting you, and they're very happy with what they're getting back. The Oxford vaccine provides about 75% protection and significantly reduces the spread after just one jab. Now, this is a study that needs to be re-studied and what they call peer-reviewed in that another team of independent people have to check it to see can they produce the same result. But that's very exciting. That's game-changing news because we now have 
word that one of the vaccines, one of the vaccines that will be that is going to be circulated in this country and one of the big ones in Europe, it does significantly reduce the transmissibility. Remember, we were worried that you take the vaccine, well, you won't get sick. That's great for you, but but will you be will you be infectious? And and this research is very exciting that the. AstraZeneca vaccine reduces significantly your risk of being infectious, which is great news reported in many of the newspapers this morning. I'll come back to what John was saying because uh, it's, it's, it's a bit trivial what we are at now. I want to move on. Listening to that lady's heartbreaking, says Andrew in Blackpool. I think both, um, both Sandra and Teresa were getting to Andrew. It's heartbreaking, but what compounds the heartbreak is a lot of these deaths could have been avoided in the nursing homes. We were forewarned by Italian medics the virus would hit the elderly worst, but our so-called government didn't protect these people or those who worked with them. A damning indictment on those same politicians and leaders who acted immediately and worked through the night to bail out Anglo-Irish. It shows where their allegiances lie. I've been saying it since very early in the pandemic that when it's all over, we will have to find out and we will have to ask very hard questions, very hard questions, about what happened in our nursing homes. And someone will have to be held account, accountable rather, for what happened in there. It's, it's appalling. Anyway, 1850-715-996. Over the last couple of months on the opinion line, we've spoken frequently to Professor Jerry Killeen, Professor Anthony Staines, Professor Ivan Perry, Professor Patricia Carney, Professor Gabriel Scali, Associate Professor Dr. Tomas Ryan, Professor Sam McConkie, all of whom are founder members of ISAG, ISAC, which is the group set up to promote a zero COVID strategy in Ireland. So that we might get to where they are in New Zealand, or we might get to where they are in Australia or to where they are, lads, an hour away in the Isle of Man. I know it's tiny, but you know my point. And ISAG has now set up a hashtag and a campaign. We could be zero. And their idea is let's take this strategy to eliminate the virus, suppress it to the point of eliminating community transmission. Community transmission is where I said to you, you have got COVID-19, but I don't know where you got it. I don't know where you got it. I don't know how you picked it up. The zero COVID, or the we could be zero campaign, wants to take us to a place where we never have to tell anybody that. And Dr. Julian Marcel, I hope I had the name right, is another member of, of ISAG and joins me now. Julianne, good morning. Good morning. Good to speak with you. And as I said, spoken to many of your colleagues over the last few months. There is a tipping point now in public opinion where people are looking to Australia and looking to New Zealand and looking an hour away to the Isle of Man and wondering, could we do that? Could we? Well, I think we could, yeah. Um, um, Zero COVID uh, is not uh, maybe the best name because people sometimes uh, think, oh my God, it's so idealistic. But the goal really is to push down the numbers to a very low level. And when we're at the very low level, then we can see where we're at and uh, continue pushing uh, 
lower or make adjustments um, in our strategy. So that's really what it is, and it is possible. I mean, um, it, it, a European country has a lot of resources that when they're mobilized, when people put their head to it in the civil service, it can accomplish a lot of things. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, it's not possible uh, because of this and that. And I always say, look, if we can close the pubs for a year and the schools for a month, uh, there's no reason why we cannot have a good uh, IT infrastructure for contact tracing or a few more uh, public health consultants or things like that. Uh, so, yes, it's possible. It's really a question of political will. That's the big, big block we have now. Um, a lot of people in government are uh, reluctant to do that, but also a lot of people in government, a lot of TDs are in favor of it. So it's a matter of tipping the balance, uh, uh, and we're we're nearly there. The argument has been, look at New Zealand and see what they did. Look at Australia and see what they're doing. The first thing that says that people say is, oh, you couldn't do that because we're so dependent on imports and exports for so many elements of our economy. And of course, the one that gets put up is is the northern border, which now is not just a border with the UK, but a border inside and out of the EU. And they tell you that that's impo- it's impossible to do it because of those two reasons. What would you say? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. There are the two things we hear quite often. The first one about the economy, that's not a problem. You manage that. So none of our plans restricts economic flows in the sense that uh, truckers and freight would all be allowed to come. You just have to manage it. So you would have something like designated truck stops for truckers so that they don't interact with the population uh, too much when they offload their loads. They uh, they might be local teams that do that instead of them interacting with the local people. So that's all manageable. It requires to have a discipline and an organized plan, but there's no problem there. Um, for the the border, of course, the border with Northern Ireland is a, a challenge. It's not like uh, maybe in Australia. The, they did a very good job, but the borders are a bit easier to manage because there's fewer people uh, concentrated near them, and they also have lower numbers. Mm. But we sure saw, you're in the same country. Exactly, yeah. They're in the same country as well, So, but they have different administrations. So they have two uh, Tony Holohans, let's say, in the, the States there. Um, so it's uh, it's tricky here, but on the other hand, um, you don't need to have a perfect um, border uh, seal to, to make it work. That's not what anybody wants. What you want is to have a good management of traffic and containing whatever outbreaks there are there. That's really the key concept. So if, let's say the whole island's at zero COVID or near there, but in Cork, let's say, uh, there is a massive outbreak because... I don't know, uh, cruise ships constantly come with tourists and there's an inflow that you, you can't stop. Well, then you would just have to have a containment of the outbreak in, in the Cork region. Uh, otherwise, the whole island will be infected. So everybody understands that, I think. If it's Dublin, it will be for Dublin yeah. uh, because it's a global city or, or whatever. This is a bit like what's happening at the moment, isn't it, Julianne, in Perth, where they had one case and the city has gone on a week-long lockdown to quench that case until it's safe again for people to go about their business. That's kind of what you're on about, isn't it? 
Exactly. That's exactly what it is. The, the principles of outbreak management are very simple. You have an outbreak, you contain it. That's it. The challenge is in the local specifics. So if the outbreak happened to be in Donegal or Monaghan, well, you would do the same thing you did to Perth or to Dublin or wherever there's an outbreak. That's why the border is not really about the border. We have to talk about the border because people ask about the border, but the border doesn't matter for a virus. Uh, It's really wherever the virus is. It can be a town, it can be a county, it can be a couple of counties, but where it is, you have to contain it. And to contain it, you have to have checkpoints around that infected area. And then you regulate traffic. Uh, Some people can go through because they're essential workers. But if you just want to go shopping outside of the infected zone because uh, you like the shop on the other side, that's not allowed uh, because you'll just infect the, the rest of the country. Mm. So that's how we, you deal with the border. And um, we've talked to senior, very senior Garda uh, and with Australian public servants who have managed their borders and who have won the battle against COVID. They all said the same thing uh, because I pushed them, right? Because if it wasn't possible to to manage the border, ISAC would not have to go down that route. We could just say, well, we cooperate with the North, and that's it. There's nothing else possible. Um, But they all said, look, the border for uh, Ireland is a challenge, but my God, by all means, go for it. You'll really um, get rewards from it. You'll reduce traffic a lot, and your cases will go down in the South, and then some counties like Cork and Kerry actually will be likely to be the first ones to reach zero COVID because they're far away from the border, they're far from Dublin. Um, And so when you have those counties that reach zero or near there, you really can protect them so that they stay at that level. Mm. Shops can open, pubs can open, and then it becomes really an example for the rest of the country. And communities take pride in that. Uh, and then it can go f- from there. Isn't, so, the, isn't the ideal that working here in the south and working in the north, the two sets of authorities, public health, pol- political, whatever, business, whatever, that they would both get to the same levels and both do what needs to be done simultaneously? That would be the ideal. Uh, and uh, right now it's a bit what's happening with level five restrictions on, on or, or equivalent on the island. So right now, we do have a border plan right now. It's 5K radius. Yeah. And so nobody seems to complain about that. But the plan that ISAI has for the border is actually more free than that because you assume that some regions will be um, not under lockdown. So, yeah, the cooperation is, is the easiest uh, way to do it with the north. Um, but at ISAI, we, we think we cannot put all our eggs in that basket because it's very slow. And because even if you had cooperation with the North, that would be great, but you would still have localized outbreaks and they might be on the border or not. So you'd have to have some kind of uh, localized containment strategy. Um, And uh, so you have to be ready for that. So uh, no country has gotten to zero like um, nationally all at once. Like Australia has zones that are, like you said, infected, others that are not. And you need to deal with that geographically. It's Mm. really the key zone strategy. Yeah. And that's how you get out of uh, yeah. this mess. Now, Neffet uh, and the government seem convinced that this cannot be done. And, and to be fair, I suppose, Julianne, you'd have to say Neffet have the data uh, in front of them in, 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 in real time and the resources to use that data. If they say it can't be done, should we just not accept it can't be done? 
No, I think that NIFID has data, but let's say ISAG, we have a lot of data, and it, it's not like if you need um, you need data to implement a good plan, but you can understand the situation anyway. Uh, it's a really a matter of political will. The data this government will really try and will try again and will fail, then we can say, okay, for that reason, it's not possible, or for that other reason. But you cannot say it's not possible if you haven't tried. I mean, there's basic stuff like the hotel quarantine has never been uh, tried. It's just been a joke for a year. So if they really try to do a good system and for some weird reason uh, it doesn't work in Ireland, but it works everywhere else that they have done it, then okay, we can reassess at that time. But it's very easy for the government to say, oh, it won't work, it won't work. You could say that for you know 10 years. Uh, it won't work. Well, okay, if you don't try, people might take you at your word. But uh, I just cannot believe that, like I said, if you can close all the pubs for, for a year, if you can put the country into lockdown for months, close the school for months, then you come back to me and say, oh, I can't build um, you know, good contact tracing teams uh, in the country. That That's just not true. Uh, I can't I can't put a few guard on checkpoints to mobile to to regulate traffic. Uh, that's impossible. I mean that's that's just not credible. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't make sense even sharing the we've all heard about sharing the travel data with the north. What's the block there? There's no block. You just do it and it was GDPR it seems to be a block. Yeah, well Okay, like there's other priorities in the, in Ireland and GDPR right now, right? Such as the <laughs> the deaths we're we're witnessing. Yeah. So I mean, make it work, you know. Um, so if you go, if you do some small steps like that, you improve and you build on that. Mm. But if you do nothing again, you know. Uh, what did you take of the performance? And I'm not personalising it now, but I was watching prime time last night. The minister for justice was talking about the hotel quarantine, and it seems to any listener that they actually are only starting, they're still only at square one with the hotel quarantine and it could take many, many weeks before the first person gets off a plane and goes on a bus to a hotel. Yeah, but that, that's that's uh, kind of what I was saying. It's a good point you, you bring because um, uh, we're one year into this pandemic and we're still not ready to even start the plans for um, quarantine in the hotels, which would be very happy to have the businesses. So it's not like if you have to, you know, make a big effort at convincing them. So it's just um, a symptom of um, not, a, there's not much political will. But again, uh, my information is that a lot of TDs in the government are in favor of let's call it zero COVID or something very similar to mm. that. We've seen the opposition parties have all switched in the last uh, few weeks. Um, so, the, and you look at the opinion polls, which are astonishing, and 91% of people want hotel quarantine mandatory. Yeah. I mean, this is, at ISAC, we were just, my God, we knew there was support, but we didn't know it was 91%. And it's the same for every policy of zero COVID. So the, pub, the public is really ahead of the government. And I would add, uh, ahead of a minority in the government or a small portion of the people in, in government. So it's just a matter of tipping it. And that's why we launched this uh, We Can Be Zero campaign to reach out to the public now because we've reached out to a lot of business organizations and uh, all political parties. But we want to go beyond that to have more of a, a kind of a social national mm. movement for a more aggressive strategy. And my summary of, of what, my personal summary as I read it, Julian, of what you're saying is, can we at least try? Yeah, that's exactly what I, I would say. Um, nobody... 
can say it's not working if you don't try. And especially now, see the, the problem with COVID, the problem of COVID is that there's two kinds of countries in the world right now, and only two. There's the one, there are the ones that have won against COVID and the ones that have lost. So the ones that have won against COVID, like Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, China, Taiwan, they've all done the same thing. So it's really, really simple. Uh, you only have to copy what they did and adapt that to your context in Ireland. And those guys, let's say in Australia, they're not reluctant to help us. They're really waiting to help us. Uh, when I call them, I'm not like a government official. I don't have any official status. I call them and they say, okay, don't worry. In a few to, few hours, I'm on the phone with you. I'm ready to help. I'll help you with this or that plan. And they're very happy. They've won their battle, and they keep winning every day because they contain the outbreak. So there's a lot of expertise yeah. out there. One, one of your international um, consultants, to I say, is is in the University of Wellington, New Zealand. Isn't that right? Yeah, uh, there's people from um, uh, New Zealand and Australia. We're in close contact with everybody, and that's why. We have um, um, an assurance that what we propose makes sense. It's not like if we're saying, oh, we want to go to this ideal that nobody has ever reached and, uh, you know, uh, if we try, we'll get there. The, the, proofs are, the proofs are there. You can see countries that have done it and you can see the rugby matches and the parties in Australia. Um, and um, so, like I said, you only have to copy uh, what they did. And it's very simple. Outbreak management is very simple. Uh, the general terms, the general principles. What matters is to have a disciplined um, state um, that really will implement it, will put together teams of police officers, of public health people, and local leaders, local communities, and say, look, in, let's say, Monaghan or Cork, what do we do here? Where are the bus routes? Where are commuting patterns? How do people work here? And that's it. You do it like that. Um, there's no reason why Ireland cannot do this um, if many other countries have, have done so. And Ireland actually could become a, a European leader in this uh, because of our island advantage, uh, everything else equal. It, it would be easier to do it here than, uh, say, in Germany or, or France, uh, which are bigger countries. Mm. Um, so I would jump on the opportunity. And if Ireland did that, I guarantee that every five minutes the phone would be ringing in the Taoiseach's office from all the European capitals asking, oh, wow, how did you do it? Can you help us? Uh, it would be incredible for the country. But that requires the government to have a desire to say, look, we're going to mobilize our national resources, carry out this plan. It's a big task, but, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be uh, challenging, but yeah. we'll get through it. But if there's no political will, there's nothing possible. I mean, we could have to talk on the phone like this forever. If the government doesn't want to do it, then we'll live with the virus, we'll live with deaths, and we'll live with bankruptcies. And, um, you know, we'll be having the same discussion um, in a month, and in, in, in two months, and in three months. Um, and there's not much you can uh, do if uh, national resources are not mobilized for, for action. Okay. Do, you think the, do you think the fulcrum is starting to tip in favor of trying it? Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, if you had talked to me three weeks ago, um, I would have said, well, we're hopeful. But now, um, last two weeks, we've all seen um, all the opposition parties uh, have really gone towards what we're saying. Sinn Féin is a bit uh, dragging its feet, uh, but the others are on, on the target. Uh, like I said, our information, which is you know, double 
abstract is that a lot of people in government want to go uh, for a more aggressive. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The strategy, and um, so there isn't much left to, to convince, really. Um, and the population is overwhelmingly, I mean, I can't really even think of another issue in my memory that uh, has gathered so much support and 90%, 80%, everything we propose is uh, um, very, very high levels of public support. Okay. Uh, even sealing the border at 71%. I mean, we're not even calling to close the border. We're yeah. just calling to manage it and people want to do something like that. Yeah. So okay. yeah, it could in the next few days or weeks, um, it could tip. But um, everybody who has managed outbreaks, like in Australia, they always say, Okay, now get off the phone and do it now. You have to act now. Yeah. It's better to act quickly and get it a bit wrong than wait and get it perfect. Because well, it isn't be that perfect. what Mike Ryan has been saying since well, the exactly. start of Dublin? Speed trumps accuracy. And, and as well as that, two examples from Australia that one was given to us by, by a woman from Cork who's actually home at the moment for, uh, for family reasons. But she said, in Western Australia, there was a plane on its way in. An, inter- an internal flight, the rules changed while that plane was in the air and those people were led off to a quarantine. Yeah. It needs yeah. to happen that fast. Yeah, I think, too, a difference when you talk to people in Australia, the, the public servants, is that they have a very good situation now with a few cases. So for them, one case is a, you know, a big, big thing and they go for it completely. Whereas in Ireland, because we have so many cases, it may seem a bit out of hand and hopeless because you're like, my God, you know, we have a thousand cases every day. Mm. Uh, what can we do? But that can change very, very quickly. Uh, and when you get to a low level, the battle for us will be in a few weeks when we'll be at 100, 200 cases a day. Then you'll hear calls by from the hairdressers to the business owners and the government, oh, we need to reopen, and we cannot make the same mistake again, because if we reopen at 200 cases, within days we'll be back up uh, to a high level. So um, when you reach that level, then you can really focus more on actual outbreaks and manage them properly, like you said, in Australia. Um, so um, we have to remember also that we, have, we were asking before, do we have the capacity to do this? Well, we have, because we did it this summer. 
This summer, we had the best result in Europe. I mean, we were near, we were about three weeks ago uh, from zero COVID. Ask any epidemiologist, tell them that story and they'll start crying. Cork, it's so frustrating. Cork, city and county, Juliana, I'll leave you with this one. We yeah. almost did it. Uh, I've been following the numbers here on the program mm. since pretty much very early in the pandemic. Last June, July, we at one point, for a population of half a million people in Cork, we had a 14-day case number of two. Yeah. That's, that's zero. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So you, you did it already. There's no reason why you couldn't do it again. Galway, people don't know that sometimes, and I didn't until I was told. Galway in early December was three days away from zero COVID in the sense of the first day of zero cases. And then they opened the restaurants and the shops for Christmas. So it's quite possible. It's just that when you start again over and over, it becomes really tiring. Um, but uh, we've done it before. So okay. we just need to do it again. All right, Julian, leave it there. Thank you very much. That's uh, Associate Professor Julian Mercil. And he's at Dublin. How did you get this name? Dubl- uh, UCD. Uh, he is another member of the ISAG group. And, and I, I forgot to mention in the original list I read at the start, our, our good friend at this stage, he is a good friend of the show, uh, Dr. Niall Conroy in Queensland, who not only supports it, but with his team and other teams in Queensland, they've actually gone and done it. Uh, Claire says, we won't get to zero COVID till the attitude of a lot of people change. This going to supermarkets on the way home from the test. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or calling to your neighbours. Ah, sure, tis grand. Ah, sure, I only call into Mary. Sure, she, she, she know her. Nah, nah, she'd be grand. She'd be grand. In regarding the GDPR thing with the North, there is a provision whereby national interest can trump GDPR. And epidemics are considered a national interest uh, what's the word? Category. Since the Nice Treaty. So GDPR could actually be, if you want, put to one side so that we could share important information with the North. They could do it if they wanted to. 1850. Do they want to? That's the next question. Baldy Barber, I drove to Black Rock this morning uh, to meet a consultant. My God, you'd never think we were in lockdown. Look at the traffic. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. While we're all staying at home, would you trust your partner to cut your hair? I'll give you some weird Wednesday facts and the best music mix. Chat to you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Ed Harper, our good friend Ed down there in Cape Clear, which I assume Cape Clear is as COVID zero. I would hope that's COVID zero. Um, but Ed says... That uh, people before profit are doing an online Zoom for to discuss this policy uh, at seven o'clock p.m. on the eighth of February, eighth of February, which is when? When? That's that's Monday, I think, is it or something like that? The eighth of February, anyway, seven o'clock. They go to pbp.ie 
for more details. 185 Something I am going to start doing though, uh, just I suppose stirring it a small bit, is the next time I have a government politician on, I'm going to ask them, who do, do they know who Brad Borges and Gary Gray are? And if they're, particularly if they're members of the Oireachtas Committee set up to deal with that, uh, the COVID-19 crisis, then maybe they could invite Mr. Borges or invite Mr. Gray before that Oireachtas Committee. Because Brad Borges is the ambassador of New Zealand in Ireland and Gary Gray is the ambassador of Australia in Ireland. You would think, would you not that these two people should have been invited before that Oireachtas Committee a long time ago. 1850 Yesterday I was talking to Monica about the plague of dog poo on our roads and I mentioned a conversation I'd had a few years ago with a woman up around the Ballyvalan, up there near the Fox's Hounds and the shopping centre area, um, who'd been in a wheelchair. And, you know, you don't need to finish the sentence. Jack, it's happened to you as well. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, it's, um, it's not ideal. Where did it happen to you? Um, so, I live in Carrigaline and um, I've been going to the Crosshaven Watches down the road. Mm. Um, I've been going out in my sports wheelchair because I play wheelchair rugby with Rebel Wheelers. Yeah. And obviously we can't train uh, with COVID and all that at the moment. So... Um, I've been going out there just to get my exercise in and that's where it's been happening. It's pretty much like a minefield most days coming down there. Mm. Describe, even though I know it's probably going to be disgusting to do it, but describe for, for listeners what it's like. Um, like the, be- the best way I could describe it is um, a, a friend who I play, who I've played a rugby with Um he says that, you know, when you're in a wheelchair, your hands are your feet, um, which might make sense to, to some, but uh, it's it's so true when you're in a wheelchair. And um, you're pushing along and it's grand and, you know, whatever. But then suddenly you just get a waft. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, you just, once you get that smell, you you know what's happened. Um and it's it's vile, and you will look down at your wheel, and it's it's smeared along the wheel. You'll see your hands. Like I'd be wearing gloves because um, in the sports chair, um, you know you could um, damage your hands, mm. and uh, you just see it spread along the gloves, and it absolutely stinks. And because you're pushing as well, um, and you're pushing at a bit of speed as well, not as fast as a cyclist maybe, but you know still. So it's like it flex. So it's not just going on your hands, it's going on your clothes. It's If you've got a water bottle on your lap, um, it's going on that, so then it ruins your water and stuff like that. Um, it's just really, really frustrating. I can imagine, I can imagine. And again, along that walkway, and I know it well, and a gorgeous place for a walk or a cycle or anything you want to do it on, um, mm. are there, like, do you see people just letting their dogs do business? Um, I've never actually seen someone, you know, letting their dog do their business and then they just walk away. Um, but it, it just seems that it get, it's gradually gotten worse. Um, like I've come across people, like what would happen is 
when it happens to me, I have to stop. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's your run done. Like that's your that's your your outing done for, isn't it? It, it can be. Um, yeah, because like with the whole five kilometre thing as well, to get to the walk that um, to get to the start of the walkway, that's two kilometres in. And, um, you know, I, if I'm going back, I either have to give my mum a ring to come and pick me up or um, I have to sit there basically until I see someone coming past and say, have you got a tissue um, or have you got something I can use to clean my hands and clean the wheel or wheels? Um, so, yeah, it's it's. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Jack, listen, thank you for telling us about that. Um, How are things going with the Rebel Wheelers, very quickly? I I was talking to them before. How how are things going? You're obviously sidelined, as it were, with with all the COVID stuff. Um, Yeah, we're we're stuck for sports at the moment. The basketball team uh, did get to go back um, just before the last lockdown, very briefly. which is great, but then the the one thing that's still going is like the Saturday morning uh, club for the juniors, uh, for the junior members, and that's great for them. Like it's over Zoom, and it's just having fun little activities like for an hour or two, um, like every other Saturday. But um, yeah, um, we're we're all just getting by, doing workouts from wow. from home. And uh, all keeping a touch itching to go back. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, keep safe then, Jack. Thanks very much. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Maria also wants to know: Could we help people in wheelchairs? She's an amputee. All we hear is "Go for a walk." I live near a hill. I'm not able to go out. Fair point. Eighteen fifty. Marie. Not Maria, thanks. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Kit Philippa returns to Cork for their first headline show at Wintrop Avenue. Describe by Hot Press magazine as one of the most interesting new voices we've heard in Aeon's Kids Show takes place on Friday, May 28th. Access all areas. Cork Orchestral Society's online programme continues in February with Cork School of Music Emerging Artists of the Year Brendan Gard joined by Gary Beecher on piano for a live stream concert on the Society's website. Check out CorkOrchestralSociety.ie for further information. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Many things that would normally be happening at this time of the year are not for very obvious reasons. And I'm not just talking about sport and things like that, I'm talking about wedding fairs. This would be pretty much the height of the wedding fair season, possibly even coming towards the end of the wedding fair season. One of the wave two in the year, roughly, isn't it? January and September. Um, and there's none. And there's some online stuff, but, but none. And one of the best known wedding planners in the country has said we may never actually, as an industry, recover from this because it's 
and so much damage been done to it. I'm speaking of Peter Kelly, Frank. Hey, Peter. Hi there, how are you? It's been a, it's been a while, sir. It would be the busiest time, wouldn't it be, of the year, the, 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 the fairs and the planning and all of that, but there's nothing there now. Yeah, I think um, I think we will recover, um, but I think the industry is in is in real crisis, and um, and a lot of people won't recover um, to get through this if if there's not action taken straight away. You know, this industry is kind of a vital um, to billions of revenue for the for the for the country, and at the moment um, we're just not being supported. Um, mm. so kind of the the wedding the wedding sector is like it's a big asset. It's worth about 2.3 billion uh, uh, to the country, and um, just in the wedding part alone, never mind events. And um, and February is marked. Uh, it's, it's like it's a vital. It's a vital month, as you said, for the industry. And um, there was a survey done, like Tarafe and a group of um, planners uh, and myself um, were involved in. And um, it, the survey showed that over 500 businesses uh, took part in it. And they believe that if they're not supported, um, that um, it's 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 uh, it's in dire straits. They've, they've spent nearly a year now with um, very little support, and we haven't been able to trade. So that's the big thing. Uh, and for we're very upset for couples too who have changed their dates, they've lost deposits, they've changed again, they've changed again, and uh, we're not really represented in government uh, as an mm. industry. And I think uh, that's where we're trying to bring light uh, um, uh, to the government to show that this is a very valuable industry. Um, I don't think people realise how, how much it was worth. Well, 2.3 billion, I, I certainly would never have. I would have said a few hundred million. I would never have said 2.3 billion. Yeah, it, it, but if you think about it, it's so far-reaching. Uh, you know, you've got every, it, it affects restaurants, bars, hotels, you know, dress shops, uh, you know, um, caterers. You've got a huge list of people who work in the industry from invitations to florists. Like, we're a massive, massive industry that um, work across many fields, and that's the, that's the issue. Yeah, um, and of course, all work together in a big, in a big network. You're, you're asking the government, I think, Peter, to look at, at Scotland, where they've come up with an idea. Yeah, well, basically, Scotland um, have, have given us... Um, um, uh, they, what they've done, they've supported the wedding industry, um, and and that underpin, under, underpins the, the value um, the Scottish government placed on the sector. The fund is based um, on a fixed amount linked to their business pre-COVID. So you know they look at your turnover, and then they give a percentage of what you were making to keep you alive because they need this business after the pandemic. Mm. Um, but uh, it's very similar to the CRSS scheme, but. But we're about the only part of the industry in Ireland that isn't covered under the CRSS. Uh, restaurants, bars, um, caravan parks are all covered, but we're not. Yes. Uh, so basically, even though we, we, we generate massive revenue in, um, it doesn't look like we're considered um, t- to, to be the same as everybody else. Yeah. Uh, because a majority of the companies I know have been told because they don't have a fixed premises where they service their business from, um, which obviously, like myself, I would contest. I have a 10,000 square foot premises that where I conduct my business from, <laughs> which I have been paying for for the last year without any income coming in. Yeah. So there is, like, you know, there is, um, it's like a, a technicality. And we, we know that um, 
and so this can't continue and we just want to be treated fairly. Okay. Um, we've asked, the, the big thing we ask for is for the government to say uh, to couples, is it going to be 10, 50, 20, 100 this year so that they can plan because they yeah. haven't been able to plan and we can't plan for them. And, and if, there was a plan, if, they, if they were able to plan just before I let you go, and I know things are locked yeah. down so it's impossible to really plan. For, exactly. was, was, there a tr- was there any kind of a trend developing this year that people would have been looking at? Well, I think any, you know, the, the couples have been very, been very well able to adapt um, and if there was weddings for 25, they had a wedding for 25. If there was a wedding for 50, they had a wedding for 50. But you see, they can't really guarantee us any uh, numbers because obviously we know there's a pandemic and if the, if the cases go up, then they have to shut everything down. So basically, we know we're going to be closed down and we can't plan for the year. So we need to be supported because we know that our business is basically being told we can't trade. So if we can't trade, we need to be supported like every other industry because... Um, not only will they lose our businesses in the wedding industry, um, all the couples, 21,000, are going to lose deposits. So there's a, there's a massive knock-on effect. So I'm really concerned that they support the industry and, and see that as, as what it's worth and they treat us fairly. Okay, leave it there, Peter. Thank you very much, Peter Kelly, a.k.a. Funk, um, from Weddings by Frank. I, 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 that is a mind-blowing figure, that the industry... All the various elements, as it were, of the wedding industry. 2.3 million euro to the local economy. Like, that's just bizarre. Olive, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Your mom got one of these, but most unusual one. Indeed. She got one the other day, and it made her day. Uh, written on it was, uh, not her name and address, but... Um, to the postman who can decide who would like to receive a little card. And my mum's postman, who I don't even know, but I have foraged out a name. I think his name is Ray. Okay. <laughs> he chose my mum. And on the card was, to the receiver of this card, I hope that you are keeping well in these difficult times and we're all in this together. Best wishes, Siobhan. Isn't that lovely? I just thought, you know, it made her day, it made my day even more. I just thought, what a fantastic, thoughtful thing to do. And what a fantastic postman. Somewhere. (laughs) And what a lovely postman. (laughs) Tell tell me a little bit about your mum. My mum is Nancy Attridge. Um, She's 89. Um, We're minding her very well. She's a very outgoing lady, but her wings have been clipped. She's very upbeat. She's knitting squares um, for covers for comfort, Mm. which are a little group that send um, blankets to the oncology. Um, She's doing well. You know, we take her out for a little spin and we take her little doggy for a walk. Mm. uh, But that's it. Uh, but she's she's hanging in there waiting for her vaccine. Is she anything to the Attridges who were famous Irish dancers? She is indeed. I thought she might be. <laughs> she's at the helm, Nancy Attridge. Exactly. Ah, she, um, oh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in exalted company here. <laughs> and we play this later on for the podcast and she'll be delighted. <laughs> All right. Listen, to Nancy, to, to, Olive, to you, Olive, and the rest of the family, and to Siobhan, who sent in the card. Thank yes. you so much. Now, also, yes. um, you have sent us a little video. Explain I what have. this is. 
this little video is of my wonderful nephew, Joshua Gomez. Nice. Um, and his mum, Neve Marie, who is also a director of the Attridge Group, she is very uh, upright about Michal's plans to leave this country, as oh. I am. Oh, and I, I, I contributed to your survey the other day because I think, now, Neve Marie, when Michal comes up uh, to make his announcements, she has set her two children down in front of the television, and he's the leader, and we do what he advises. So I think it is stone mad that in that in this time of all that's going on, you know, Joshua made a little video. Uh-huh. Uh, Here it is. It's only it's only six seconds, but I think it says yeah. it all. It says it all. Martin, why are you going on a plane when we can? There you are. <laughs> that's it. Joshua's out of the mouths of babes, as they say. Out of the mouths of babes. My sister hasn't taught a step since last March. Her group didn't travel, but managed to represent Ireland internationally virtually very well. Joshua's sister didn't have her birthday. And I really feel on this occasion, Michal needs to show leadership. He needs to give example. Look, we're all finding this one. And you know what? As I've been saying since the start, Olive, there's nothing would happen in the Oval Office on that day that couldn't be done over Skype from the American Embassy. Absolutely. Right. And you know, PJ, I saw something yesterday which I think was phenomenal. Our best representative at the moment is Vicky Phelan over ah. in America. Yes. And I think Joe Biden, who is so fond of the Irish, I think Joe Biden would actually be delighted and honoured yeah. <laughs> if he made contact with Vicky. And she was a representative. But I mean, Joshua was fantastic. He was speaking from his heart. He's missing his little birthday next week, which is very important to him. And everybody is after sacrificing. Good. And I really do feel that it's appropriate for me all to decide to get in a plane and go anywhere. Olive, None of it's it's a conversation anywhere. I've no doubt that we will restart again. Thank <laughs> no, you very no, much. No. I'm going to leave it for no other reason other than time. My best to Nancy and to Siobhan who wrote the card and to all the family. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Quick reminder to you about Premier League Live. Join Trevor Welsh, 96FM.ie this Saturday. Go online to the website or grab the app and you'll find it down there under other streams, the Premier League Live stream. Saturday afternoon, uh, powered by TalkSport, Trevor has Aston Villa versus Arsenal at 12.30, Newcastle United versus Southampton at 3, Fulham against West Ham at 5.30, and Manchester United, when their fans have finished crowing about last night, Manchester United against Everton at 8 o'clock. The Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. A few Manchester United fans not happy with me for saying this morning that they wouldn't shut up for a while about what happened last night. But sure, look, that's how they are. They get all caught under the collar that they'll be, in, I said they'll be insufferable. Someone says that, your listeners said that about you too, PJ. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696, the email, opinion at 96mm.ie. If you missed any element of our first couple of hours, I can tell you the podcast extra is up 
uh, with our wonderful, wonderful uh, ICU nurse, uh, Teresa O'Brien. Uh, that's up but the full programme will be up mid-afternoon on our podcast watch out for it first on Twitter we'll tweet the link and then it goes to all your various platforms including the Cork's 96FM app Mary de Courcy is in Ross Carberry listening to Olive and wanted us to pass on her best wishes to uh, Nancy uh, she remembers her well from the School of Dance a lovely lovely lady Nancy Attridge a legend in the teaching of Irish dance across Cork City and County and the minute I heard the name I said it's got to be that one it's got there can't be any Nancy there can't be too many Nancy actors around so best wishes uh, to Nancy and to the whole family speaking of wishes I did mention earlier on this morning uh, my good friend Ted Dunn uh, Mr Entertainment uh, who is fighting the good fight with every fibre of his being at the moment in ICU as he battles bloody COVID. And we sent him our, our best wishes and our thoughts and thoughts to his family. Um, contacted to thank me for doing that by another legend of the Cork entertainment scene and a friend of mine that I've worked with many, many, many times over the years. And I've always said one of the very finest vocalists to come out, not just of Cork, but of Ireland. And that is my good pal, Kieran Kramer, who gave us all a terrible fright last year. Uh, ended up in ICU, not with COVID, with something else. Uh, still there, um, but battling, battling hard and recovering. And he texted me um, to endorse my good wishes to Ted and the family. And uh, hang on there. Hang in there, Kramer. We'll talk again soon. 1850-715-996. There's a fabulous Instagram. He's gaining lots and lots of traction and lots and lots of followers. In fact, she's got nearly 12,000 followers now. Uh, it's called Irish Budgeting Mammy. And I was browsing over it this morning. And it's just... What would I call it? It's just a lot of solid common sense about running a family home on a budget... Month by month, week by week, year by year. And uh, the person behind that page is Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. Now, you're a nurse. Your your background isn't necessarily in budget management, no? No, no. Um, I've, I've no financial um, background at all. I'm actually, I'm studying for it at the moment, but... Um, I am. Um, it's it's just true. Basically, paying down debts. Like I ended up with a, a good bit of debt during the, after the Celtic Tiger years when the whole recession hit, and um, I just I got I learned so many tips and so many ways. I just decided to share it, and basically the page started off with me just to make myself accountable to to keep going and keep paying debts, and it, it just kind of grew, 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 and it just, it just got really popular. Yeah, money in and money out. So much yeah. month left at the end of the money. These these are these are comments that everybody passes. Like I wish to God payday came faster, but the, yeah. you, you address it all in these yeah. little Instagram posts. Yeah, the thing is, I I would be naturally a spender. Um, I'd naturally before my old kind of way was kind of got my wages. I'd live like a king, and then I'd be like budgeting to get to the next paycheck. So I kind of I turned that around, and so now it's it's kind of like I've set. I've kind of used kind of sinking funds kind of to set the right amount of money if I want to do things like I always like say I love beauty so I always kind of put that into my budget but I don't go over the budget that I kind of set for the money for beauty that kind of thing yeah. so it's just it's just kind of a way of managing your money How, you, you need to be very disciplined don't you Um I suppose you do need to be disciplined, but it actually becomes second nature. That, that's that's what I can say about it. Um, at first, it was kind of like, oh, 
this is you know this is hard but now at this stage I, I kind of I, I get really great satisfaction from seeing say my sinking funds go so sinking funds will what's be a like, sinking fund yeah so sinking fund is like a, a, a planned yearly expense so my car insurance my holiday all that kind of thing it kind of becomes it's I've it's kind of addictive, kind of to track it and um, see them kind of grow. And it, it just, it becomes second nature. And we, when you stop worrying about money, because that was a huge thing. I used to get like, I'd spend, spend, and then i get anxiety because I wouldn't have the money to pay the actual bills. And when when you were raised that from your life, it's, it's very hard to go back, to go back to living like that. Yeah. There's a buzz to be got out of it, isn't there? When you see the there benefits. Is. And there's this huge community. It's actually, I, I was just kind of strolling Instagram one day and um, I came across the debt-free community. And I started going, well, that sounds interesting. I was actually on maternity leave. This was only last year. I was on maternity leave and I said, well, if I didn't have my, I had two credit union loans at the time. If I didn't have them credit union loans, I didn't have my mortgage, I could spend more time at home. So, it, you know, it kind of, it's, it was kind of about getting a lifestyle kind of as well. Do you find yourself then when you go, say, to the supermarket... Um, do you find yourself going? I'm going to. I have to. I have to mind myself now. I have. To, I have this whole system with the supermarket. I actually hate food shopping. So um, the problem with me was I wouldn't go, and then I'd end up popping to the local shop and kind of spending a load of money. You know, every day, like instead of instead of like kind of planning for the week. So I started planning for my week and kind of using what was in my presses, what was in my, what was in my freezer. And I do an awful lot of batch cooking now. So I just, I cook a, a whole load of meals and kind and freeze them. So I kind of, I have them there and that stops me getting takeaways. Because takeaways is another one that I used to, used to be quite fond of as well. Yeah. Now, I suppose in lockdown times... Yes. We're all inclined to give a little bit of a splurge on a Saturday night and go for the takeaway and go and get the bottle of wine and say, oh, to yes, hell yes. what else have we got? So do, do you ever just go, ah, to hell with it? And there's, oh, a, not, there's a few I, quid I, gone. You know, I allow that every week. I have a, I have a fun budget. So, See, that's not, that's not what I mean. Yes. <laughs> you know I mean? Do, you ever, do you ever have an ah, shag it budget? Like, ah, to um, hell with it. <laughs> I have I have I have miscellaneous budget, so I'd have kind of money put aside there if if there was a time like that. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's but it works. That's the thing; it works if you allow yourself. I like originally when I paid down debt, I did it with cutting everything out. Yeah. So I I, I cut I had big credit card debt and I cut everything out. I paid paid paid, and then what happened was. I started, like, my money became my own again. I wasn't paying for my past. So then I just, I actually went mad. I just started spending, spending, spending. Yeah. And I ended up getting two more loans. But there were small loans. But there were still loans. Like, there were loans. I could have, it was instant gratification. I wanted the house painted now. So I got a loan first. I wanted to go on holidays. So I got a loan first. And then now my, my whole mindset is kind of sitting back and, and saving for these things. Do you know, that it's actually... So you're paying for you're saving for your future instead of paying for your past is my whole yeah. motto. Yeah, uh, other people are listening. I know, thinking, God, I could yeah. never, I could never be this strict with myself. What advice would you have for them? Um, follow, follow the page. Um, I have so many people after that message me that just start following the way I do it, and um, they're like. The, they can't believe the progress they've made. They can't believe they're they're, they're paying their car insurance in full for the first time in years instead of paying it in instalments and different things like that. And it is it's a huge community and there's there's loads of other pages, not just mine. And we all kind of kind of buzz all kind of together. And people people are getting a big buzz from it. To be quite honest with you, it's the Irish debt free community. So, 
give us a start. So someone is sitting there going, all right, I like yeah. I like the sound of this. I'll follow her in on, on Instagram. But payday is day X of the month. Let's say for argument's sake, payday is the 25th of the month. Yeah. How do I start and in what way? Well, the first thing I'd say would be track your spending for a month or two before you even start budgeting. Sit down and write down every single thing you spent because you'd be absolutely amazed at like where, where the, you know, money's going. Simple kind of things, the coffees in the shop or one of my things was like, say when I was pregnant, I'd stop at the shop and I'd go, oh, I'm going to get myself a big like pre-cut fruit. You know, like it's, I could do that at home, but I was doing it because I said, oh, I need a treat now. I'm going to work. I'm pregnant. I get like a big bath, a big tub of fruit that cost me six euro. You know, this, it, all those kind of things. Look and see where your money's going because that, that's, that's, if you start like looking at the little things, you know, you're going to have more money for the bigger things. Yeah. And if you see something a bit reckless in that list, do you stop it straight away or do you just put a circle around it and go, I need to watch that? Just You need to watch it. What I do is it, just the main thing is that you're not spending more than you're bringing in because that, that's a huge problem is, you know, all those little trips to the shop, all those little kind of little spends often they add up that we're, we're actually spending more than, than we're actually making. So when you when you track your spending, say maybe from one to maybe three, I'd recommend three months before you even start budgeting and then sit down, break okay. it into categories and kind of go like, what do I want? Do I want to, to, to deposit for the house or do I want to keep going to the shop? That kind of thing. Right. So then at the end of that, people want to know what the rewards are. So in 12 months, your typical 12 months, what have you achieved by doing that? So I so I started the page last year. I was on maternity leave last year, and lockdown happened, and I went right. I don't because I'm a nurse, so I was like, I, I it was I wanted to take the extended maternity leave, but due to the whole current situation, you know, with COVID and everything, and then I was like, I need to get a control on my money to be able to, you know, take the extended maternity leave, and then I started sitting down, and it ended up that I actually paid off. I paid off the two credit union loans, which I had no intention of paying off that quickly. Um, I just they ended up. I ended up having them gone by December. How did you do so, that? Did you not eat? <laughs> and, and that's a smart question. Like, how did you do that? I know I did. I did eat. Um, I, well, obviously there was no there was no social life going on um, with because of COVID and everything else. But I just just when I was looking and seeing where my money was going, I have um, I I do as a budget sheet, and then I allocate money for all the little things. But then at the end, I'll have money. To, I had save debt payments, so I put money towards my debts through that. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people did manage, for example, to make a hole in their overdraft or something during yeah. during the first and second lockdowns, and that's kind of where you got the inspiration from. So, do your lists, figure out how much you spend, spend a spend a while doing that, follow the page, and and see where it takes you. Yes, <laughs> planning is key. Planning is key, and I get so many people saying they want to save for a house deposit and different things, and then they start following kind of the tips and kind of looking at where their little spending's going, and they have the deposits in no time. It, it's it really is amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it. All right, okay, and all the stuff is on Instagram at Irish Budgeting Mummy. Thanks, Anne Marie. Take care. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Yeah, it's the worst. It and I'm. Happened to Mrs. Kills me for I'm the worst world, the world's worst for popping to the shop on the way home and grabbing a bit of this and a bit of that. And I go for a sliced pan and a bit of butter and I come home with two large bags. And it happens way too often. And I say, Ah, sure, it's only what? It's only a few quid. But it all adds up. So it does. 1850 715 996. 
on the zero COVID idea that we discussed in the last hour. Ray says, morning PJ, no mention of the essential truck driver travelling to and from Europe. We must now have a PCR test before leaving Ireland. Although aren't they doing the antigen test now, Ray? I had mine. It came back negative. I was told when tested that if it was positive, I would self-isolate, but not be able to enter France for three months as it can take that long to leave your system. That's an interesting one. But the, the antigen tests are supposed to solve that now That for the truckers. Um, the antigen is the one, and again, Luke O'Neill and I were speaking about this yesterday, that there should be far more antigen testing going on um, for many reasons. Uh, and Luke, Luke's conversation with me is on a podcast extra if you want to catch up with it yesterday. PJ, to get through this isn't the best option to reunite. Keep tight, keep opinions civil, and understand the other person. Hashtag be kind. If someone is doing something dangerous, is it kind of different? But doesn't everyone know that Taoiseach will have infection control for a trip to the US? More mature to say, how can I stop the pandemic? Then look at that fella, he's doing what I can't. The people will decide at the ballot box. We don't need this divisive debate now. See, I'm, I'm half with that. I'm half with the no finger pointing. I'm half with the not pearl clutching or curtain twitching. I am. But you see, sometimes that has another effect in that people are given out to each other for watching. So the people that were watching aren't being watched and can do what they like. 1850-715-996. And no, there is nothing. There is nothing that could be done in that meeting in the White House on this one day, this one day in the year, there is nothing that could happen between Joe Biden in the Oval Office and Michal Martin that couldn't happen with Michal in the American Embassy where they have a conference room, where they have secure connections, where they have all those things. Have his meeting in the American Embassy. The public relations kudos from it would be huge, apart from anything else. 1850 715 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Up the country, they've got a lot of snow. They've got a lot of snow in West Cork. I've seen people building snowmen. Shedding and snow, snow persons. Yes. Because ice has no gender. Of course. Because so they're fluid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're gender fluid. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Here's an interesting little pearl of wisdom. Children are a kind of indicator species. If we can build a successful city for children, we will have a successful city for all people. That's a quote from Enrique Peñalosa, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, the former mayor of the city of Bogota. 
And it's an interesting little message. And it's it's there's a group now hoping to turn Cork into just that, a more child-friendly city. And Denise Cahill is their coordinator of the Healthy Cities Group. Hi, Denise. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I like that little pearl of wisdom. If we build a successful city for children, we'll have a successful city for all people. Yeah, and I really like that quote about children being the indicator species as well. Um, I think we can really see that now in the current climate with more children possibly visible, um, you know, during this, this period where they're at home and where they're out playing and they're trying to be active and they're engaging in green spaces out on their bikes. Um, you know, that's that's a sign that, that they're engaged in, in society and I suppose that they're out and about and they they are the marker, I suppose, of, of, of what is healthy and a, a city that, that's catering for their needs and, and gives them gives them a space to participate. So in a broad outline, what is Cork lacking, say, that would be better for our children? Well, um, I suppose the approach we'd be taking and the approach we've always taken with Healthy Cities is we look at what we have and we look at how we can build on that. And, you know, Cork has been a healthy city for 10 years, designated by the World Health Organization. Um, you know, our, our, our approach is that we look at the statistics, we look at what's going on in the city and we try and build on, on, on um, I suppose, what, what's there. There's huge interest in, in Cork becoming a child-friendly city. Um, you know, I think every city across the world has has uh, room for improvement and has has areas where they can they can work. Um, the the key thing really is about that every child gets to have a good start in life and gets to grow up healthy and cared for. You know, mm. and I think that has to be the the place you start with 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 um, uh, an initiative such as this. So it is about, I suppose, you know, that, that children have access to good services, that they can participate in city life, that they, you know, that they get a voice, that, they, that they're that they heard and that they get to participate. And a great example of what's going on, I suppose, in that area, in Cork, and, and we wouldn't have been maybe great at it in the past, we're, we're learning more and more, um, is engaging children in the, the planning of the city. Um, Cork City Council are working now with the Glucksman around hearing the voice of children in the city development plan process and, and that's fantastic to see. Mm. Um, the Glucksman have done a, a lot of work with, with Cork Chamber in, in, um, in their Cork Forms uh, work and they're building on that now to a broader perspective looking at it um, looking at what children want to see in the next 50 years in, in their city. Mm. And I think we're all well aware that for children, you know, the issues are around climate change is a huge factor for them. Um, it's not even something you have to specifically ask them anymore. When they think of the future, they're very much thinking about about that. Um, and they have views and they should be heard and they should be part of the process for planning the future. And it's really great to see that that has been started in Cork. One of the things your group has been involved in, of course, is the pedestrianisation along the the, the marina. Now, unfortunately, the timing with the pandemic means that we can't take as much pleasure from it as we might. But the idea would be to do more of this. Yeah, I mean, that was was part of a, a playful paradigm project that we've been involved in. It's a European funded project um, where we had three years to look at bringing play to Cork City 
And I suppose rather than say we're closing the marina, we, we, we decided to turn that on its head and, and put out the message that we were opening it actually to play and opening it to people. So um, we we did that over a series of, of four Sundays in, in partnership with a lot of, you know, uh, organisations in the area like the Blackrock Playground Group um, and Cork Cycling Campaign. And it was really about just showing if you remove cards from a space, what can happen for everybody, not just children. Now, now children certainly benefited, and we, we saw that over the four Sundays, um, you know, that, that a lot more children were visible, that they were comfortable, um, and that their parents and their guardians were comfortable to be with them there because there wasn't any fear of, of cars. There were children on bikes, scooters, they were playing on, on the on the road, Um so it was a wonderful opportunity to demonstrate it for four Sundays. And I think out of that came huge momentum for that to become a permanent feature in the city. Mm. Um, I mean, you're right in terms of, you know, the, the current pandemic um, situation that not everybody in the in the city gets to experience it. But what you will notice is that the, the local people in that area are delighted now with, with that facility yeah. um, and, and with that opportunity to be able to enjoy that that space um, within their five kilometres um, and it will, you know, when, once once the restrictions are lifted and we're moving forward, it will be a fabulous facility for everyone in the city. But well, if you go it, to other cities like one. ours and the one I'm thinking of um, is the city of, of, of Mahan in, in Menorca, which has a comparable harbour in terms of size and what they do around the edges of their harbour and other harbours, great harbours of the world. What We're not doing that which means our harbour isn't as family-friendly as it might be. Yeah, and I mean, again, there's some fantastic organisations in the city really trying to make the river accessible to people for recreational purposes, like the likes of Mehal Mara. Mm. They're partnering at the moment with Cork Local Sports Partnership just to do that. And we have developed what's what we've called a place-making network for the River Lee. We're looking at how we can make the river more accessible to people for recreational use. You know, there's there's great little small projects going on. They're not hugely visible. It would be great to make it more accessible. The river is actually the largest recreational space in the whole city. Yeah. Um, yet access to it can be a challenge. And I think by bringing the organisations that know the river inside out together, um, with the organisations, I suppose, that have the access ability and, and I suppose the funding to allow it to happen, things can really change. Um, and that's what our ambition is with that placemaking network is to to turn the river into a space that everyone can enjoy. And you don't have to be on the river. You can be on the banks of the river. There's there's so many opportunities um, for that. There's a lot of people, a lot more people now swimming, freshwater swimming, yeah. um, using uh, kayaks. There's a Carcom navigation, which and the dream the dream of the Lido project as well. That we'd have a we'd have a floating Lido there would be just a business like. Well, it would be fantastic. Um, and there, you know, there's also smaller cost projects that are out there. You know, there, there's there's cheaper ways to get on the river too. The leader would be amazing, um, absolutely amazing. But you don't have to 
Um, it doesn't have to cost a fortune to make these things happen. Sometimes it's just about a group of people sitting down together and coming up with some solutions and, I suppose, planning together around how to make things easier. And we certainly saw that with the playful paradigm and, and trying to bring more play into the city. The library service, for example, jumped on board and, and were really keen to engage with us on the playful paradigm. Yeah. And they now have, in all of the 10 libraries across the city, we've play bags, which were purchased through the Healthy Ireland Fund. Um, every library now has a play bag to lend out to communities. Unfortunately, again, um, you know, we're, we're always talking about it. The pandemic kicked in, but they're there and ready to be borrowed. The, mm. the libraries have also, um, you know, invested in, in games for the libraries and they're looking to develop Lego clubs in the libraries. Um, so there's organisations, institutions, you know, um, facilities all over the city Good. really keen to engage children. Good. And I think we really want to build on that with this vision, you know. Okay. Well, the future, the future is bright with all those projects uh, germinating. And hopefully one day when this blasted thing is gone from our midst, and gone it will be one day, uh, we'll see it develop. Denise Cahill. The coordinator of Healthy Cities. Thank you. 1850-715-996. I ran a poll. I started it late last night on my own Twitter, and then I asked people when they voted to share so we get a half decent sample size. We're going to return, by the way, to the subject of zero COVID in just a sec. But I, I ran a poll which was that we are interested in engaging should Neffet and the government adopt a more aggressive drive to eliminate community transmission of COVID-19. We discussed it earlier on this morning with Julianne Mercil from Weekend B Zero. That, by the way, is up as a podcast extra now, that interview with Julianne Mercil. But we had a fair chunk of votes, uh, considering I started late night and it closed at 11 o'clock. 84% of the people who voted in that poll, 84%, said, yes, we need to go hard and go quick and be more aggressive with it. So there's certainly a mood out there for zero COVID. In the last few days, I've been speaking to a Cork man uh, living somewhere that is zero COVID and that has been zero COVID for quite some time. He's in Tasmania. His name is Barry Walsh and he is a brother of a regular on this programme, Tom Walsh. Uh, from the Besberg Commemoration Group and then all my own founders. Um, but ta- I caught up with with Barry in the last few days. And I should tell people that before we d- we did this interview, before the lockdown in Perth had been announced. So that's not included here. Uh, so that just puts it into a little bit of context. So Barry, you've been in Australia for, for quite some time, uh, over 30 years, I believe. Yeah. About 20, 20 plus years in WN. I've been in Tasmania now for just over seven years. And the the approach to COVID take me take me back to the start. I, I, like when did you realise first of all there was a major problem, and and how did how did it initially manifest itself? The response. Okay, the, the, well, look, like everybody else, the first few the first bits of information started ticking out of Wuhan. In what December, January, nine, two, nine, 2019, 2020. and we, like everybody else, thought, "Oh yeah," and this is another, you know, SARS, MERS, all those other nasties that came out, made a bit of a fuss, 
and then disappeared. No, no, no great deal, no, no, no great worry. Uh, but it just started getting worse and worse. And then probably February in 2020 was when it started to sound really, really serious as far as we were concerned. We had a cruise ship, the Ruby Princess, which came in and docked in one of our ports and a few hundred people on board sick. And they came out and uh, they were released and they spread it very happily everywhere else. There were most of the Australian cases. Uh, originated with that at that time. Uh, we got a few cases down in Tasmania around about February and March 2020, in most of the northwest at the beginning, and then we had a few down in, quite a few down in Hobart as well. Government, they, we've got two levels of government, obviously, state and federal. Federal government got together very quickly, organized a team made up of the premiers of the different states to coordinate a reaction and response. And that worked very, very well. The states tended to do their own thing a little bit as well, but basically they put, they, they locked down. Local areas were, were locked down. They put in place the, this COVID, this tracing app, which people were big really about uh, installing on their phones. And people responded to the requests made of them by the government. How harsh was the lockdown? The harsh, the harsh, the, the lockdown wasn't that harsh. It wasn't that terrible. People were, okay, schools closed down. Uh, education was done online from home. Universities did the, pretty much the same thing. Uh, were restrictions on the number of people in shops. Um, a lot of people did click, uh, you know, Click and, uh, click and collect or have it home delivered. But by and large, um, daily life went on pretty much as before. For, a while, for about two months, we were allowed, no, we, we, we were not allowed, I should say, to travel outside of our immediate home area with, I think, about a 30-kilometer restriction and only essential travel to get food, to medical attention, that sort of stuff. And that went on for, in Tasmania, about two months. There was one politician in particular. The whole idea was that you, you stayed at your home or your, your, your designated residence. And he thought he was being clever, so he designated his holiday home as his main residence when he went to go on holiday. And then he designated his proper home as his place of residence. And that upset people. They got really annoyed with him about that. People were compliant. They were, they, were, they were concerned, they were worried, the statistics, the, the incidents in older people and the death rate in older people which are concerned because we have an aging population here in Tasmania in particular. Um, the health department organized their response, had their, had, had their response teams in place, had their plans in place. But thank God, the number of cases that we had in Tasmania were really very, very low. We had about six or 700 cases altogether. Um, 13 deaths there, about something like that. What's the population of Tasmania, Barry? Population of Tasmania is about 500, just over between five and 600,000. And we, haven't had, we have not had a case of COVID since about May last year. Really? That long? So how has that been achieved? It's been achieved literally by lockdowns. We, we, no, tar, no tourists, anybody coming in from overseas has got to go into quarantine, goes into either hut, goes into hotel quarantine. And that has worked very well. There's been a few 
incident where people have broken quarantine, they've been identified, they've been picked up, they've been locked up until such time as they uh, could face a magistrate and then were heavily fined and then they were put back in quarantine for the appropriate length of time. There have been, a, we've had a couple of people in quarantine who have developed COVID, but no local, no, no local transmission. No community transmission. We haven't had community transmission in Tassie for, I think last I saw was about 230 days, something like that. Which we're very happy. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to go to a neighbouring state or or a part of a neighbouring state, how, do, how does that work? How it worked at the time was there were restrictions. If we wanted to go from Tassie to, say, WA or Queensland, uh, any of the other states, when we arrived there, we would have to go into quarantine for 14 days. Um, that was that, 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 that was the level of restriction that was in place for most of last year and for the beginning of this year. And that has been eased off now almost completely in the last few days. So now we can travel freely to uh, from Tasmania. What they have, they've got three, they've got the designate. Uh, three levels of risk. Red, orange, green. If you're in a red, red zone, you travel anywhere, you've got to go into quarantine when you arrive two weeks. If you're in a green or in an orange, pretty much the same green zone, you're free to travel. So as it stands right now from Tasmania, we can hop on a plane, go to any of the other states, no restrictions at all. Uh, so in, in our day-to-day lives, the only thing that... The other thing we don't have are tourists. So compare what you're living with to, to home. I don't know when you were last home, Barry, but I'm sure you'll be in touch with your brother Tom frequently enough. Yes, of course. Uh, the difference between here and there, what do you think? I'm appalled. I'd be quite honest with you. I'm, 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 I'm in shock. I read the statistics. I see what has what the government have been attempting to do. Uh, and it just seems to have failed. I'll be honest with you. That's my that's my impression. Um, and I don't I don't I do not understand why. You're you're an island. We're an island. Uh, our government put in a lockdown. We are not free to go about and do everything pretty much that we want to do. Uh, almost without restriction. If if I want to travel to Europe, I can travel to Europe. But getting back might be a problem. But in Ireland, the number of cases you seem to be having, new cases, the number of deaths, the I find that stunning. And we get told that, oh no, we couldn't do what they've done in Australia because it's so, so different and and it's not possible in this country. And we even have the chief medical officer now telling us it's it's not possible. Can you understand where they're coming from or is there any sense to that argument? I don't see it. I think, look, the, the only thing I can look at it is from, perhaps from the economic point of view. Look, Ireland is an island. Tasmania is an island. Um, Ireland is a, is a bit bigger than Tasmania, um, but you have the same communication systems. You have ferries, you have aircraft. Shut it down. Economically, would it be a problem? Yes. But our government put in place financial support mechanisms for businesses, for people who were employed, but whose employment would stop because of COVID restrictions and for the unemployed. Um, they increased the level of support available to everybody. They put a lot of money into it. 
but it has meant that people's lives have gone on pretty much as they did before. How is the economy now, given that you've got it under control and there hasn't been a community-based case for such a long time? We went into a recession for about three weeks. In, I think, about June, July last year. That was it. Now it's going gangbusters. Property, property values have gone up average of 6 7%. Wages are static, uh, of course. Unemployment rate is, I think, 7.5% was the last I saw, and that's going down. Businesses are, businesses are suffering. The businesses that are, that are based upon tourism are suffering. But the ordinary retailers, they're, having, they're doing great business. Is there any idea, Barry, from either the federal or the state government, when tourism might be able to resume or, or are they prepared to completely wipe out tourism to make sure that the virus stays eliminated? Tourism is shut down and for the foreseeable future. People still, there, there are people coming in from overseas um, but they have to go into quarantine. Uh, so regular tourism, no, dead, dead in the water, won't happen. Um, even with uh, people from Australia who want to return to Australia, there's a there's a bit of a problem at the moment because there are only now two airlines that are flying into Australia from overseas. Uh, and I think it's Qatar and one of the Cathay Pacific. These are the only two airlines that are flying internationally into Australia and very limited number of flights and anybody coming off those flights into quarantine. And how strictly is the quarantine enforced? Is, is it all hotel quarantine or is there some, like, as you undoubtedly know the idea of quarantine here is well you fill out a form and you go home and give us your phone number and we might or might not ring you no 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 it is all hotel quarantine you go straight into enter into hotel quarantine uh, and you pay for it and that is policed by the police and where necessary also backed up by uh, the Australian army and if there was to be a case in, in Tasmania, I don't know the name of the, the, the town or the village you live in. Well, we're in, in Launceston. The, the, the two big towns are Launceston in the north, Hobart in the south. If, there were, if, 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 if somebody showed up, people are still being tested. So if somebody goes and is tested, if you get a positive result, you go into quarantine. That would probably in that circumstance be at home, but that would be, again, monitored and you would be checked every day. Somebody will come to the house and check every day. Then all your contacts will be checked. If you go to have a meal, you have to leave contact details, of course. Um, but all your contacts will be checked. They will be tested. And we'll have to go into quarantine under such time as the test results are back, positive or negative. And that hasn't, but that hasn't happened. But that, that's a theoretical response. But we haven't had, a, as I say, a community case for over 200 days now. That's a phenomenal result, and it's it's a great operation uh, by by whoever's in charge. Again, com- comparing it to to home, you must shake your head. Yeah, we do. And look, we 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 have a, a guy called Peter Goodwin. He is the premier of Tasmania. He's an accountant. Uh, I met him on a number of occasions. He's a very intelligent man, and he is a man of great courage, politically and every other way. And he just said, this is what we have to do. This is what we're doing. And this is what we have done. 
and he has got massive popular support because of the the results of the measures that he uh, insisted be put in place. Nobody liked it, but that's all the reason for it. Barry, thank you very much. I think we're all quite jealous here at home in Cork. Stay safe there and look after yourself. Look, I just wish you guys all the very, very best. As I say, it's uh, a bit of a basket case at the moment, unfortunately. That's a good way of putting it. Barry, thank you. PJ, God bless. Bye-bye. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. While we're all staying at home, would you trust your partner to cut your hair? I'll give you some weird Wednesday facts and the best music mix. Chat to you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 96 96 on Cork's 96FM. Finish out today on this. I, I, I was shocked and stunned um, when I saw the responses coming in to the Jerusalem video that the guards put together and he's gone viral and it's beautiful and it's really well put together and they all did it on their day off. Do you know, them kind of things that you get now and again, days off. John says, here I am, I can't even leave my five kilometre and there's guards yucking it up on Banner Strand on foot of a TikTok challenge even if it is in their 5k. The whole issue of setting an example. People are saying with the Taoiseach in Washington, Banner's a beauty spot, a holiday spot, a history spot. Is it showing solidarity to show guards dancing on a beach? The police force in Northern Ireland renamed itself the PSNI. The ones here should call themselves the village people. Oh, my God. Caller says, I agree with John. I know people who travelled from Belfast and Derry to Dublin, Donegal, and even toured the country. Not stopped once. Even if guards did this in their spare time, they would be, it sets a poor example. There will be some, not all, relatives of people who died who will not like this. There will be some, not all, nurses who think it's appropriate. It was unnecessary. And Bernie says, uh, this is a joke. Send them up to Dublin Airport where they can really lift our spirits, making TikToks of selfish holidaymakers and businessmen and celebrities coming back from Spain. We'll all dance to that. That seems to be a minority opinion, but it's out there. And I have to say, I'm a little bit shocked by it. Because I think the Jerusalem video, no, apart from that, that I love the track and it's almost been on repeat on my system since I heard it first. I thought it was great. And if we want to take this up in the morning, we can. And if you are a nurse who thinks it's a bad idea, I'd love to talk to you. Um, as for what John says, you know, is it inside or outside their 5K? Well, Banna Beach isn't that far from a guard station. Um, and it's a beauty spot. And there's no one else there. And they're doing it for... I don't know. We might come back to it tomorrow. Um, go and watch the video if you haven't seen it before. You'll find it on all the social channels. Go and find it. And if you find it and you don't like it, then we might talk about it in the morning. And I'll try to reserve judgment on it. Um, I won't come down too hard on you. I loved it. I really loved it. But I don't know. I don't I don't know. Maybe it's when we'll come back to it tomorrow. Interesting. Now, we do all love it, actually. I think Terry loves it as well, and Fergal likes it too. 
And all those guys, those guards, were on their day off, their time off, or they'd finished their shift. So there was no guard that resources wasted there. Uh, I don't know. Another bit of good news before we finish. See that ad that Ryanair had? It, it might explain, actually, why, why Michael O'Leary's been like a bulldog sucking on a wasp for the last couple of days. Uh, no more than usual. They, Ryanair ad, the Vax and Go ad, They've been ordered to take down that ad in, in the UK. Um, maybe that's what was annoying Michael O'Leary when he was spitting bullets at Neffet in the last couple of days. But that's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.